Welcome to the Heavy Strategy Podcast, the podcast where unanswered questions is more important than unquestioned answers. The goal here is to try and take topics, take them from a strategic point of view, and dig into them. Today's sponsored show, we're talking to Backbox. Now, Backbox is a range of operational tools that you can bring into your network infrastructure to help you get past the day-to-day administration. We've talked a lot about automation, a lot about how orchestration can come in to change the strategy of your network and to smooth out the workflows. But not everybody wants to be sitting down, cutting code, checking things in and out and doing building up test labs so that they can validate them. And Backbox is a tool that's focused on the usability, not on your skill, your skill development of your staff. So joining us today is Josh Stevens from Backbox and Hanok Mormenstein, who's also joining us as well as Jonah. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Now, Josh, I want to kick off with you. Can you give us a brief background or brief introduction to what Backbox is doing? Brief introduction. Backbox is the world's leading, most trusted provider of network automation products. Now, that's a that's a canned kind of marketing answer to what you asked. <laughs> what I would tell you as a practitioner is that Backbox is a very powerful, very reliable, practical approach to automating network infrastructure, automating what you're doing from a network operations, network services, and network security standpoint. What I'm hearing there is your tool sets are really focused at doing what people do. You're not trying to change the way people work or get them to learn a whole bunch of new skills that aren't directly aligned with network operations. You're saying, we're just going to do what they do already. Our focus is automating the work that they're doing now that they would like to not be doing so they can focus on other projects that are more important to the business and provide a higher ROI and are quite frankly more interesting for gearheads like us that want to operate large high-end networks. I will add to this because we are not only trying to replace them on, on what they are doing and clear their time. We also try to make it better, right? To avoid those human errors when people are tired or feeling that they don't want to do stuff. And we want to automate this. We want to prevent those human errors and make things uh, much more fluent and much more, you know, the administrative tasks uh, done better. Yeah, I'm thinking as you're talking of some of my clients who one was telling me last week that they spent hours running something to ground and they were just fat fingering MAC addresses. Nobody wants to go every day to all these devices and back up them. It's a tedious work. It's something that takes time. When you want to verify if a backup is working or not, that's something that takes time. You want an automation platform that will do this to all your devices, to all your vendors, and not just for one specific firewall vendor or one specific network vendor. You want somebody to handle and manage all of this. What you're saying there is it's not a it's not a vendor-aligned solution. So many tools now are vendor-aligned and only work on a vendor's product. Just to sort of test that, how many products do you actually support? We currently support more than 180 vendors out of the box. Every big vendor have multiple products that, that we support. So we're talking about 700 different products that we support out of the box. So that's a whole range of CLIs, APIs, different types of config storage, however it looks you're actually spreading it across. So if I've got something that's using GNMI or JSON or some sort of legacy config, you can still store it in some way. We that's have right. customers that are using like 15 years old firewalls that nobody supports today yeah and we and we still support take a, a cisco pix that is uh, like 15, there's a blast years. from the past yeah. <laughs> so 
so, world's uh, first nat box. And all the stories I can tell about Cisco pitch firewalls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sleepless oh, yeah. nights Anyhow. I've spent in data centers trying to manage those. Definitely. <laughs> or cutaway switches, you know, those things that are not, uh, you don't find them today, but there are companies and enterprises that still use them and still want to automate those. Well, I mean, that's a reality. And not everybody's got a fresh, new, shiny network that's all cloud ready to, you know, and so forth. At the end of the day, it sounds very much to me like you're also working from small to large networks because these skills actually work as much at small networking as it does at the very large. I would argue that the problem is worse at large scale, but even in a small network with, you know, 50 or 100 devices, network infrastructure devices, I mean, routers, switches, APs, firewalls, it's still a lot of work. You know, five, six years ago and, and beyond, we would oftentimes upgrade these devices once or twice a year when we really needed to. Today, with the frequency of high-severity CVEs that are being announced, my policy is to recommend to companies when I'm helping with network strategy uh, that they do it at least monthly and anytime a high-severity issue has been released. Not many companies out there have developed and matured their network automation strategy to the point that they can upgrade the whole network every month. Oh, absolutely, but, Josh. We did a, a research study specifically on network automation and that, yeah, the frequency of automation is nowhere where it needs to be. But I want to circle back to something and push back a little bit because you said, well, I'd argue that the problem is worse in larger, more complex networks. I'm going to say, no, I don't agree. And here's why. The larger the organization is, the more likely they are to sort of paper over the problem by having humans who do a lot of the automation. It's not effective. It's not efficient. It doesn't work very well. But in a small company, you can't do that. If you've got one guy who does networking, you're doing pretty well. And yeah. in that environment, they can't, you know, they're going to get easily overwhelmed. Well, with in all bigger companies, you've got the automation. trick of trying to get the skills. Well, right? yes, but so you have more people to throw at it, which yeah, is what I'm getting If you've got 10,000 devices in your network, you might have, yeah. I don't know, five to 10 network engineers working around the right. clock. But in and, a smaller company, you mm. might have somebody who's a part-time network engineer at best. And that's yeah. significantly worse because I'm just going to speak up for small companies generally. People yeah. like to think that they're sort of toy versions of big companies, yeah. and they're not because <laughs> they have all the challenges. But mm. in that scenario, you want a solution that can scale to very large, complex networks. Like now, you when you have. say configuration management, or we talk about configuration, does that mean if I fluff the configuration of a firewall? So let's say I do a bunch of firewall changes in the day, and then I'm at home and I get a call from someone saying at 10 o'clock at night or 2 in the morning, there's something wrong. Can I just click and recover the configuration of that that device or that firewall? Yeah, it's or a one-click restore. Even for yeah, weird not, configurations. And... Like different devices don't have rollbacks. So that's actually, you can actually calculate the rollback of say a PIX firewall, which is not a just roll back that command or do a reverse. It's actually quite sophisticated sometimes. Yeah, but not only this, we can uh, easily one-click restore your device. We can also uh, show you what were the changes, right? right? So you talked about somebody made changes yesterday and something is not working correctly. We do the backups and compare the configuration so you will be able to see what has changed, okay? So you can one-click restore, but you can also view the changes and understand exactly where uh, something went wrong. Greg, you're right that some devices from the factory don't support uh, an easy restore. But we've we've managed around that with the way we built the product. So even devices that require multiple steps or multiple files to be recovered in a certain order in order to do a restore from a yeah. previous configuration, we handle all that out of the but, box. So you're talking about the actual code running on the box or the firmware image as much as the configuration as well. 
Both. That's right. We can roll both back. Well, that's different because I can upgrade the firewall and then go home and know that at two o'clock in the morning I can regress if I have to. That's yeah, a- or you can build the automation so that a lot of times when you're doing an upgrade, you may want to build a more complex workflow where you may want to reroute traffic toward a, a secondary route so mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about that happening. Then you want to upgrade the device. In order to bring it to current code, you may have to hop through a couple of older versions to get currents yeah. and then reroute traffic and you back. Want, and you want to do that, that correctly in sequence correctly. as opposed to trying right. to leapfrog and right. introduce injecting all kinds of errors. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and if it you're... fails, you, you may want to, to automatically roll back and just notify you on your phone that, hey, the upgrade failed. It was rolled back automatically. Here are the errors. Look at it tomorrow as opposed to wake you up at 2 o'clock in the morning to have to come back to the office. <laughs> One of the use cases that we have with one of uh, big healthcare companies in the U.S. was the need to upgrade their iOS devices uh, to a current version. But Mm -hmm. one of the procedures that they want to automate is exactly this rollback, right? They had the old version. Mm -hmm. They had the new one. They don't know if the new one is is actually matching the device and, and the model that they have. So they wanted us to implement a rollback procedure in commands with the boot commands that will, if the new OS is not matching, it will actually boot from the old OS and yeah. the device will not be stuck or not rebooted. That's a really useful automation. Like sometimes we talk about network automations as a script that does this, this, and this. and can, but You're sort of taking a different approach to this automation though you just say, I just want to roll back the image and you're helping the person do all of the finger banging on the keyboard where you roll back the CLI or the API changes or the bootstrap stuff. We like to call our automation intelligent automation right. and, and yeah. enabling the customer to do intelligent stuff. So a customer with 500 switches wanted to configure new authentication with Radius. Now mm-hmm. it's a simple command, right? Go to your device and configure this authentication but they wanted to implement inside the automation itself the ability to actually check if the new authentication is working. If not, then the first connection that is still on the device is rolling back the configuration. Doing this automation is not just throwing commands on devices. It's doing it intelligently with the possibility to roll back with those errors, right? To fix those errors on the fly. I'm imagining folks listening to this kind of going, well, network automation, I know what that is. I know whether I need it or not. They're listening, thinking um, it's not a big problem for me. The chances are pretty large that uh, essentially they're not doing much that's super sophisticated. And what what you're describing here is putting in place a series of processes that are the optimal behavior for automate automation across the board and then not having to worry about the details arguably the network is the last component of infrastructure that's been properly automated mostly because it's just so damn difficult to get you know fingers on to to do it in any with any levels of abstraction and what we find is that if organizations will adopt a product like this and automate backups restores upgrades and get that to where that's something you don't have to think about anymore um and it's and it's programmatic so our product stands sort of in between the users and the network and ends up acting sort of as an API gateway for the Mm -hmm. network. Mm -hmm. Once you implement an automation product like ours, all the changes you want to make from that point on should be made from that system, either via automation 
or via keyboard. But if you're going to do it via keyboard, it should be secure. It should be locked down. It should be recorded so that you can automate it for next time. So there's a security angle here. One of the big things we're seeing out in the real world is cyber insurance becoming a major issue. We're seeing more and more articles coming out from various insurers saying cyber insurance is becoming a problem. The onus is on the company to prove that they took reasonable steps, otherwise their insurance will be denied. So having that ability to say all network changes, all firewall changes were logged sitting in a, in a configuration system, a configuration management system and saying, here's all the changes that we've made is a step in that direction. It is, as well as knowing that you can upgrade any critical or high severity CVEs within, say, 90 days of the announcement of that CVE. We, we recently did a study, and 80% of the network professionals we surveyed said that they had been – they had experienced a breach due to a known CVE that they had simply not had time to patch. Mm. So they knew about the issue, and then they got breached because of it. Yeah. You know, what do you do? And so cyber policies haven't – become this mature yet right now they're focused around uh zero trust and multi-factor access and things like that very soon they may say look if you've had 90 days from the notification of that cve and you haven't patched it hmm. then why should we insure you because you're not taking appropriate steps to protect the environment yes on your own end if you don't lock the front door on your house and somebody robs your house your insurance policy won't pay out that's right. And if, if we notified you 89 days ago that your door was unlocked and you didn't do anything about it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the insurance is all well and good. But honestly, one of the things we're seeing is the convergence of NetOps and SecOps happening. Yes. And this gets back to the whole notion, because if you think of cyber, what the role that cybersecurity plays in an organization is increasingly a level of abstraction up to develop the processes and the policies and a process or policy is absolutely no good unless you can actually implement it at the control points, a.k.a. the network. So what you really want is the ability to have almost instantaneous implementation of your cyber policy, particularly in response to you know uncovered threats. One of the things that we're, we're finishing right now is integration with a, a partner that we'll be announcing very, very shortly. W what it adds is the ability for us to to inject vulnerability management intelligence so people can start to prioritize those upgrades yeah. based upon risk and where they should be. Because in a large – even in a small environment with, like you said, John, and maybe 50 or 100 employees, they're extremely busy. There's a tremendous amount of change that needs to happen every day. How do they know uh, whether it's more important to upgrade the firewall or the access points or or maybe – to focus on endpoints, you know, if they're the one IT person in the company, they've got everything from laptops to servers to cloud to SaaS to the network. How do you prioritize all that when you're already working 50, 60 hours a week? I mean, that combination of threat management data with configuration data means, oh, this firewall's got this version of code. They just released a CVE-6. Well, is that related to me or is it not? But if it's a CVE-10, you probably stop what you're doing and start getting a plan in place to get that patched asset, right? If it's That's right. And in some cases, that patch may be a configuration change mm. to temporarily mitigate it. Mm. And then right. later on, an OS update and then a configuration change back. So these are multi-step processes and these organizations need to include how they're going to automate these updates as part of their overall network strategy. When you're talking about this partnership with the, the as yet unnamed company, the vision that you're promoting is this idea that the infrastructure will tell you when it's time to upgrade it based on the vulnerability assessment of the moment. Is that what I'll, I'm picking up? I'll talk about the vision. The vision <laughs> is to discover the vulnerability and to automate the upgrade process 
I'm not sure that the world is ready for a complete automation of this discovery and upgrade. And I then think, every, oh, I think there has to be a human in the loop, but still, sure. I would like the infrastructure to say, yes. hi, I just found a vulnerability in myself. Would you like me to fix it? Yes, yes. no. And not only vulnerabilities, part of the uh, job that we are doing today is also best practices and benchmarking compliance, right? So yes. take, for example, CIS benchmarks. You, you talked about insurance, right? Now I want to see that I'm, I'm working according, my configuration is according to best practices, that I have everything configured. And if not, let Backbox fix it, right? So change according to the compliance checks that we can do on the devices, change and work according to best practices that, that you know, uh, we, we get. Now, even though we've talked about the sort of people that use your product generally aren't using it to do programming or to, you know, they're not, they're trying to avoid the workload of scripting themselves. I can still use your product as an API destination from other tools. So if I want to write a Python script or if I've got some sort of help desk tool service now, I can write right. connecting tools to make this, to make Backbox go, to drive it into action. Yeah, ServiceNow is built in. We, we have a lot of customers that use that today, but you can use the API both inbound and outbound. Mm. Um, but yes, you could absolutely automate a, a service ticket, um, something as simple as turning up a new site or decommissioning an old site, anything you would want to do there. And, and in some cases, you're simply grabbing information. You know, mm. someone opens a ticket, there's a problem with network connectivity at a remote site. Give me the output of a set of commands on the adjacent router to tell me if I, to give me a, a, a head start on troubleshooting. You may not want your tier one and two support personnel to have access to the network infrastructure directly. So they can pull those configs straight from the product um, without having to do that. Yeah. Part of what our access manager does, which is part of the Backbox platform, is it not only limits where you can access the devices from, provides a, a secure audit trail, even recordings if you want of that of that work, but it also provides a, a way to limit which types of data and access certain people have in the organization. So if you've got tier one reps that you don't want to be able to make changes, but they should be able to see configurations, you can mm -hmm. enable that. All right. By the way, it can also be an opposite way where you want us to collect for you information and put it on CMDB or something mm -hmm. like this, that in another way you cannot collect, right? We connect to their devices. We can do any command that we want. We can parse the information, collect it for you, and then you will see. So you'll actually parse your... it and read it for me, right? So That's I can right. actually write modifications inside of your – so it's sort of a no-code platform at that point or a low-code right. platform because I, you pull the data. I can then do something to the, to the configuration and then send it up to a CMDB in some way that's useful or whatever. That's right. And yes. you can certainly extend the product and, and write your own automations if you want to. But mm. the way most customers use it, yeah. when they have a, a fancy or a custom automation they need, they contact us. We write it for them. If we build it for them, then it's manageable and configurable via the UI. So there's actually no scripting they have to do. All the options are in drop-down menus. It's very, very easy to use. The goal well, here, again, is to save people time and, and not force them to have to learn the platform. Well, I was also thinking here about multi-tenant network management because we talked before about service providers and service providers will have you know hundreds of networks under their administrations so what you want at that point is that automation that you said as a ticket gets escalated you want more and more data automatically connected so the engineer doesn't have to ssh into every router and do the thing but i'm also thinking i've probably got an operational platform sitting above this that can do a lot of this and needs to interface to you as well 
very important for service providers, I think. But a lot of service providers and MSPs use us to manage the life cycle of their devices, mm. Onboard, onboarding new customers, then changing configuration of devices to match what the MSP wants to have on the configuration itself, and then get a reporting on the inventory of those devices every period of time to have information that everything is configured correctly. Right. Uh, and of course, upgrades and backups so managing the life cycle of the devices is a really huge part of what we do for MSPs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to poke on that a little bit because, as you guys know, this is the Heavy Strategy podcast, and we do try to talk about strategic issues. As we're talking along, it's very clear that automation is a strategic principle for a lot of the folks that are listening, so it's, this fits nicely into that. What you're saying right now really touches on something else, which is that whole issue of asset management and full lifecycle management of components of your environment. But there's another problem here that quite a lot of my clients have, which is knowing what's in their environment, knowing the current state of it, and knowing it's sort of birth to death to a real problem is the lingering technical debt because people aren't taking these products out and shooting them in the head and letting them die quietly by the side of the road. <laughs> At some point, you know, you really do have to get rid of those old crusty old PIX firewalls and replace them. But so what you're saying is you fit into that require that strategic initiative as well. And, and also not only that, when talking about asset management, we're talking about hardware, software information, but we're also talking about configuration bits, right? Yes, you exactly. Want, That's you the want, huge thing. You want to know, for example, what is the quality of service settings configured on your devices? Or what is HA status on the devices? UTM capabilities, inventory that touching not only the hardware and software information, but also configuration parts. And so if you are like many of our clients, meaning listeners, if you're like many of our clients and you're tracking all this on a spreadsheet, Please don't, because it is really, really, really a terrible use of your time. No, I'm thinking of yeah. actual individual clients. Well, I'm also thinking mm -hmm. of people who write Python scripts to collect this information. Yeah, Your exactly. life's too short to reinvent that wheel. Yeah. Somebody's already done it for you, right? And you can, exactly. I mean, it's Let mega them... fun writing scripts to, you can do all, and push it into a SQL database, all that. I mean, it's fun. Uh, yeah, right. No, honestly, it doesn't get you a pay rise. Nobody appreciates, you know. You're going to be able to support it. And when you leave, everybody's going to yeah. be like, that was Jonna's code. Nobody knows how it works. That's exactly. That's exactly right. And I think this problem is even worse in small companies, as you said, exactly. Jonna. Exactly. Especially yeah. those small companies managed by MSPs. Yeah. Because keep in mind, the discovery process, the inventory we talked about, is fairly straightforward in the enterprise. But in an MSP, where each of my customers may be using the same private address space, mm -hmm. each of my customers may be using the same names for their devices. So now I have to be able to reach these remote sites that aren't routable natively somehow. I have to be able to scan the subnets in those devices and automatically and dynamically discover new devices because my customers aren't going to tell me when they plug in a new access point <laughs> or something like that. No. I have to discover those devices, start backing them up, start managing them dynamically. Yeah. And I have to do it in a multi-tenant way because I've got a hundred different customers on one platform and they're all hard to reach. So that, that kind of scenario is one reason why MSPs lean toward Backbox because we're sort of custom built for that complex remote distributed environment. There's a whole bunch of details in here I'd love to ask you about, but we're starting to run out of time. Uh, one of the interesting things about this product is you're actually a blend of what I call pain relief versus pain avoidance. 
So I tend to categorize, I mean, I have a really simple thing. Like, you know, if you've got pain, then you want something that's going to take the pain away. And another one is where you go more strategic and say, I can avoid this pain if I have this product, right? So products tend to fit into two categories. But you actually sort of sit between the two because most people have configuration, automation, dynamic asset management, because asset management is not something we're going to touch on because it's pretty obvious that it's part of the product. You've got some advances in the security and compliance space, but you've also got the ability to avoid pain because as the network continues to grow and as things change, you're actually addressing future problems as much as you're solving current problems. That's correct. So Hanok, I just wanted to touch on some of the experiences that you've had with working with customers because I like to sort of take the strategy and apply it to the real world, although we tend to bloviate about various ideas. What sort of things are the customers doing in the real world? We talked about homegrown solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Jonah talked about this guy that is writing Python script and the next day is living or the next day is sick and nobody knows how to fix his, own, you know, his, his Python script. We're talking about a constant versions that comes out to the device and changes that we get that those automation need to be maintained. This is not one time job to create something and then leave it alone, right? That's a maintenance that you need to do. Our privilege is to have hundreds of customers that constantly go to us and tell us a new version come out or uh, something has changed. Please fix it. Please change it. Yeah. And and we do it on the fly. So So that's, you know, those are a lot of things that we hear from customers that they used to do either homegrown solution or maybe a vendor-based solution, but it's not enough because it's not uh, saving the complete state of the device. So even the vendors yeah. themselves doesn't. I would rather know, pay Black Backbox to get 50 customers' versions of a configuration for a, an old, out-of-date device. Like, I, like, as you said, Kados, almost a 15, 20-year-old device. I don't want to be the only one deciding what to back up. I want to have 20 or 30 other customers say. Definitely. Now, now think about a customer that came to us and said, listen, I have 900 firewalls. Hmm. I need to upgrade them, right? Upgrade is a big issue. Now, if I do this manually or even from the management solution of, uh, of the vendor, it takes me like three to four months. And until I finish with it, I need another cycle hmm. uh, to do it. And maintenance window and working on those, you know, uh, maintenance window when nobody is at work because, you know, I don't want to interfere with uh, the constant work uh, of, of the uh, company. So, you know, that, that's, that's a lot to take in. That, that's a lot uh, from the network perspective administrator to, to deal with. Recently, we, we did a deal with a large manufacturing company. Widely distributed network with a very small centralized network team, mm-hmm. over 20,000 devices primarily Palo Alto, Checkpoint, and some Cisco. They were looking for automated backups that were pristine, reliable, always available for restore. Mm. OS upgrades and patches, not just for security, but around hardware replacements. They were doing a lot of RMAs. You know, in a large network with 20,000 devices, I, I don't know the math, but if those devices last, what do you think, John, and maybe... Four years. Six years, four years. Yeah. Let's just say we five on average. Use, yeah, we usually use five as standard depreciation, but I'm telling you something, it's starting to shrink. So yeah, call it four, 
Yeah. All right. So, so we're talking about, about and if you think about a chassis-based switch, like a big one, say yeah. you've got ten slots and with ten line cards, in theory, one of those is going to go out every year. Yeah, and if you've got twenty thousand devices, you're replacing four or five thousand devices per year. You know, I was with Cisco recently working on a deal, and they were trying to sell a bunch of new gear to this customer, and the customer laughed and said, "Well, I have all the gear we bought from you last year." still in boxes in a warehouse. So I can't really justify buying more. It's not that I don't want to deploy it. Um, I have a quick question for you on customer stories. Do you have any folks that have, have used your solution for uh, the old V4 to V6 migration? We do. So all of the service providers we worked with are running hybrid IPv4 and IPv6. And most of those guys have upgraded you know, over the last few years, and they're using Batbox to do those upgrades and keep them current and to manage both the IPv4 and IPv6 relevant configurations. So we see that quite a bit. Um, we're not seeing it as much in the enterprise, but within the service provider markets, we see it a lot. All right. Well, on that note, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Thanks so much to Backbox for sponsoring today's show on Heavy Strategy. Without them, we wouldn't be able to be here bringing you this information. Thanks very much to Hanok Mamastin and Josh Stevens from Backbox for talking to us today. And if you want more information from them, head on over to packbox.com slash packetpushers, just as it sounds, B-A-C-K-B-O-X dot com and see some information. They've actually been doing this since 2009, by the way. This isn't a new company. This is a company that's been building up the product over a period of time, almost like an everyday technology. And I think the product sort of built out around what people are actually doing, not what a vendor thinks customers are doing, would be my sort of quick take on that. Uh, and if you do talk to Backbox.com, tell them that you heard about it on Heavy Strategy. That helps us and that helps the team from Backbox as well. You can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community at packetpushes.net. Don't hesitate to go over to Nemerdi's and join up with their community. And as always, remember that uh, on Heavy Strategy, it's all about unanswered questions, not unquestioned answers. Thanks for listening.